0: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth
1: and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly and I'm a science journalist and we talk to people smarter than us and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.
0: What
2: follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
1: The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities.
3: So yesterday was Kat's birthday. It was. Happy belated birthday.
2: Thank
1: you.
3: And uh, we spent it. uh, Kat, I wanted her to have the perfect day, so I asked her to choose things that she wanted to do. So the first thing we did was go to brunch and uh, the restaurant wasn't really very clean and and there were scrambled eggs on the floor and got them all over our shoes. Uh, And then she wanted to go to, this was the highlight of the day for me. We went to the Orlando Science Museum Mm -hmm. and looked at 200 million year old poop.
2: That's true. I thought you were going to say 200 million children. Well, that too. Because that's mostly the... uh, I guess the goal there is, like, it's a kid's center, and I didn't know. Yeah, we got
3: got screamed at by toddlers. A
2: lot.
3: Yeah, a lot of screaming toddlers. It distracted us as I was examining the, uh, what is it, coprolite? Yes, the uh, fossilized dinosaur poop, 200 million years old and you could still see like teeth in it from whatever it was that it ate.
2: Yeah, which is is bananas to me that you can see not just the animal's poop and know which animal it came from, but also which animal it had recently consumed. Yeah. So it
3: was an educational day. It at, was fun. At the very least.
2: I mean, minus the screaming children. It was
3: well, fun. sure. Yeah, yeah. Minus
2: that. Yeah. But then we had a really nice dinner.
3: So it ended well. Yes. The story I have for you doesn't end well. No. No, no. It's the story of the unbelievably bizarre, dark, and completely unexpected life of a professional wrestler named Mr. X. Have you ever heard of Mr. X?
2: Mr. X. No, that doesn't sound familiar to me. Well,
3: he wrestled not in like the big professional wrestling circuits, some of the more regional ones. Mm -hmm. The things that happened to Mr. X and the things that he did are so unbelievable. At best, they're unbelievable. At worst, they're just downright shocking. Oh, no. Mr. X was a professional wrestler from 1974 through 1977.
2: Okay, that's a pretty short career.
3: He was born Jerry Bibb Balasok on September 8th.
2: Mm, Balasoc sounds like a boxer's name, not a wrestler's name.
3: Yeah, or, or something that was on the old uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out uh, video game. You know, like Soda Popinski kind I, of
2: thing. A... Um, I never played that, I, I was poor.
3: He was born in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi. His father's name was Coleman, and he was a school teacher his mother's name was Marjorie and she was a hospital nurse now when Jerry was 13 his father died of a heart attack sad which left uh, Marjorie to raise him as a as a single mom
2: Jerry was a pretty good student Uh no, I think Jerry was a race car driver
3: he was also a pretty good wrestler he was actually a standout in high school wrestling his high school wrestling career was very successful it drew attention from the University of Tampa and they came to watch him and had expressed an interest in him uh, coming to to wrestle for the University of Tampa. But at the same time, a guy named Buddy Fuller, who was a promoter for the Eastern Championship Wrestling Federation, uh, saw Jerry and offered him the chance to turn pro right out of high school. Oh, wow. So Jerry began his professional wrestling career in 1974. Buddy Fuller convinced Jerry to use the gimmick Mr. X. This was a character that was actually utilized by uh, a number of pro wrestlers in various territories and uh, had
2: been for decades. Was it just kind of a general, like, you don't know who this guy is kind of persona?
3: Yeah. Okay. Each wrestler who called themselves Mr. X, regardless of where they wrestled or what organization they wrestled for, wore a red and black, uh, oh, I'm sorry, a red and white mask like a hood over their face. And the reason that uh, he wanted to do this character and um, was encouraged to was so he could not be identified and he could maintain his college eligibility and wrestle as an amateur if he decided he wanted to oh.
1: to do that.
3: Because if he was a professional, then he would have to give up his amateur status, right. even though it really wasn't, he wasn't a professional wrestler as much as a professional Uh, entertainer playing a professional wrestler got it but there was no distinction at the time for for amateur eligibility his real goal he decided he really wanted to go and get a college degree so after performing mr. X for about a year he'd saved enough money to attend the University of Tampa Joined the wrestling team as in hoping to walk on and perhaps earn a scholarship But when he got there, the coaching staff said they had heard of his pro wrestling career and he wasn't eligible to join the team. And he suspected the guy, Buddy Fuller, who brought him into pro wrestling Mm -hmm. as tipping the university off so that he would not be able to leave professional wrestling. Oh, because he
2: had a stake in it. Yeah,
3: Exactly. After that, Jerry left the Southeastern Championship Wrestling Federation forever. He was kind of pissed about that. Sure. From seventy-five to seventy-seven, he can he continued performing as Mister X, but this time with the Georgia Championship Wrestling and Championship Wrestling of Florida. He uh, had some notable feuds. He he uh, he fought Dusty Rhodes and other big name wrestlers at the time. Big names on the circuit. Jerry was pretty big. He was like six foot one and three hundred pounds. Wow. And uh, even though he was obviously one of the larger uh, wrestlers in that particular uh, organization, he was consistently cast as the loser. It was more profitable for some of the younger, better-looking, superstar, sure. gorgeous, uh, young wrestling types to, to continue winning. And so by beating this big, giant man, it really accelerated the other careers. He was, he was the heel.
2: That's got to be kind of damaging to your self-esteem, I would imagine. Like, especially if you knew that you could beat them in real life. Yeah. And then you just like, everyone thinks you're a big, dumb loser.
3: Well, he went to the uh, head of the wrestling organization and said, I want to switch roles. I want to be the hero. I, I don't want to yeah. be the heel anymore. They said, no, it's, it, we want you to continue to do the Mr. X role. It's just too profitable for everybody. You're right. making money. I'm making money. Everybody's making money. In January 1970, Jerry, unfortunately, was involved in a motorcycle accident, and uh, among other injuries, he fractured his hip, and so he couldn't wrestle, okay. while, certainly while he, they had to put a pin in it, and so he had to heal up. Okay. So the money that he had saved to go to the University of Tampa, he used to buy a motorcycle dealership in Huntsville, Alabama. And while he was recovering from his own motorcycle accident, he began to really dig into the business, become more and more involved, but not in a good way. Oh, no. Um, it wasn't long before the FBI began investigating him for check forgery. Oh. They indicted Jerry on 13 counts of check forgery. And it was over international lines, too, which made it even worse. What had happened is he had paid for some motorcycle parts in the Caribbean uh, with a fraudulent check or fraudulent checks. Uh, that he had written while he was performing overseas, and it kind of caught up with him.
2: And he was thinking that you they couldn't trace it back to him? Or? I don't
3: know what he was thinking. Oh, okay. But according to federal U.S. law, he faced 10 years in prison for each count. Wowza. So he was looking at 130 years in prison. He was obviously pretty concerned about the, <laughs> the serious <laughs> sure. prison time. Yeah. So uh, he was dating a woman, her name was Deborah Kindred, and he... Uh, He told her that he intended to skip bail and live his life as a fugitive.
2: Oh, man, that's never a good idea. She said, cool,
3: I'll go with you. So they left with Deborah's young son right before the first day of the trial. Jerry, Deborah and Deborah's son flew to Miami and then to Puerto Rico. Jerry began wrestling in Puerto Rico.
2: Way to stay under the radar, Jerry. Yeah,
3: they, of course, weren't aware that he was wanted by the FBI. Uh, Later in the year, they relocated to the Bahamas and then to Nassau. While in the Bahamas, he was informed by the Bahamian government that his visa was about to expire and it would not be renewed. So they went back to the U.S. This time he went to Seattle he got a job at Boeing by falsifying college transcripts saying he graduated from the University of Cambridge in England and he became an aerospace engineer What? with with no background whatsoever. And they said later when when they discovered that he was a, a fraud, they said at his interview he was so convincing, his face to face he showed great detailed knowledge of aerospace engineering completely fold them. And he worked there for about a year and a half before they found Whoa. out.
2: Oh. How how do you fake knowing aerospace engineering?
3: I don't know.
2: <laughs> so weird. I'm just trying to picture like in my head if someone Okay, so <clears throat> all right. So, uh what kind of jobs have you done in the past? Um so planes, right? And uh <sighs> Because, like, you have to get air under the wing, right? (laughs) And then, whew. Did I get the job?
3: Can you start Monday? (laughs) So while this is happening, the FBI had no leads on where Jerry had gone. In December of 1978, Life magazine ran a cover story that showed all of the dead bodies that uh, of the people from the mass suicide in Jonestown, the Jonestown Massacre. Yeah. And Jerry's mother, Marjorie, recognized three of the bodies.
2: Oh, geez.
3: As Jerry, Deborah, and Deborah's son. And she contacted the FBI and said she was concerned that he had gone to Jonestown. She was asked to identify the bodies when they were flown back to the U.S. from Guyana, but the bodies were so decomposed by the time they arrived that there were no face-to-face IDs. They just buried them all in a mass grave in Oakland. Marjorie then had a tombstone placed for Jerry at Maple Hill Cemetery in Huntsville, Alabama, where the inscription wrote, quote, "'Damn the State Department.'"
2: (laughs) Okay.
3: Marjorie died in May of 1983. The FBI called off the manhunt for Jerry later in the year. Uh, The Alabama State Attorney General's Office dropped the check forging charges in 1984. Years would go by. In September of 1989, police then arrested a man named Ricky Allen Weta for attempted murder. During the booking process, they discovered he was really Mr. X.
2: Wait, what? How?
3: Well, what happened was before they fled, he and his girlfriend, before they fled to Puerto Rico, they had broken into Deborah's cousin's house, Ricky Allen Weta, and stole his birth certificate, social security card, and driver's license just in case they needed it. Uh, After he was fired at Boeing, he earned a considerable amount of money in the commercial real estate development business, (laughs) mostly hotels. This was under the name Ricky Allen Weta. In 1988, Jerry purchased a hotel property in Washington State. The property caught fire and investigators uh, suspected it was arson. Jerry, as Ricky Allen Weta, was indicted for arson. Prosecutors accused him of setting fire to collect the insurance monies. Mm -hmm. He had paid a guy named Emmett Johnson Jr. to burn the hotel down. And uh, then Jerry uh, shot Thompson to cover up the arson. However, he didn't kill Thompson. And they granted him legal immunity if he uh, confessed to the arson.
2: With the goal of getting Jerry, a.k.a. the Weta guy.
3: Yeah, Mr. X. He then stated that Jerry tried to kill him to prevent prosecutors from discovering how the crime was carried out. And that's when they discovered that Ricky Allen Weta was actually Jerry Bibb. Mm Balasok. Jerry was found guilty of attempted murder in 1990. He received 20 years in prison, but Jerry served 13 and a half years and was released in 2003. When he was in prison, he put his time to pretty good use. He became a a lawyer (laughs) and a legal advocate, and uh, he specialized in not just arguing his own cases, but other inmates' cases in appellate law he even argued a case all the way up to the US Supreme Court
2: and I'm sorry but he was actually a lawyer like he actually got the yeah like he passed the bar and all that he wasn't just pretending
3: but he cheated
2: he did yeah okay yeah.
3: and that's a whole different thing I'm not gonna get into that <laughs> he's just caught cheating on the test and okay yeah in 2006 he changed his name legally to Harrison Reigns Hanover that's when he started working as a funds manager for J Pierce Investments what <laughs> it only took 3 years before he was implicated in a scheme to defraud the Security Bank First Security Bank of Washington. So, um he decided it was time to move yeah, again.
2: Absolutely. So
3: he went to Nicaragua. <laughs> <laughs> and there he got a job at another investment company. Uh while there, he got remarried.
2: Oh, things didn't work out with the Apparently. Okay. Yeah.
3: In 2012, he was arrested in Nicaragua for various sexual offenses and was sentenced to 24 years in prison.
2: Wow.
3: He was uh, to serve time in the penitentiary system in Granada, which is not a great place.
2: I wouldn't imagine. Uh,
3: On the 18th of April in 2013, he was rushed to the hospital after after experiencing severe chest pains, and he died shortly after from a heart attack that was brought on by heat within the prison. That's the story of Mr. X, the wrestler.
2: I have a question. So, That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. The, um, the Jonestown thing. Yeah. Was that actually... His
3: mom was in on it. I th- they, they think his mom was in on it.
2: Okay. That she had just pretended yeah. that she recognized. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was like, was that actually the Weta guy or was that... you know I didn't understand how that was connected, there but are a lot of what you're saying. There are a lot
3: of moving parts in this story. And
2: a lot of questions. And a lot of
3: questions. My source information was uh, Wikipedia and Time Magazine.
2: Was Jerry's IQ ever tested? Because it sounds like he was incredibly intelligent. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I don't if know. he could pull off lawyering and fake aerospace engineering <laughs> and
3: wrestling, wrestling yeah.
2: and fudge hending
3: <laughs> hedge, hedge funding. funding. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I I would agree. I, it would be interesting to know. Uh, where where he did test on the IQ yeah. uh, on the IQ test because clearly he was he was not a stupid guy. No, he just did not use his powers for good.
2: What a roller coaster that was! And now
3: that thing in the middle. In 1967, Douglas Hedgedoll was serving in Vietnam in the U.S. Navy. In April of that year, he was captured by the North Vietnamese. During his time as an American POW, he was very quiet and rarely spoke. His captors nicknamed him the Incredible Stupid One. Upon his return to the US, he provided the names of over 200 prisoners of war, which he had memorized to the tune of Old MacDonald Had a Farm.
1: Did you know that I have to record these liners live every time this podcast gets played? I haven't slept in years. This is The Box of Oddities.
3: I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura Frame, the more I love it. I have kids.
2: I don't know, like a quarter or something.
3: Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together.
2: Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free.
3: Greenlight.com slash oddities.
0: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Laura sent us a Facebook message. Oh my God, she says,
3: I'm listening to Box 239 where you're talking about all the amusement parks. I think we did like an amusement park accident episode. We or did. Something like that. Yep. She said, you have got to look into Action Park in New Jersey.
2: Oh, yes.
3: People called it class action park and traction park the whole place was run this is according to her i don't want to get sued for libel <laughs> um the whole place was run by stoned teenagers uh my story is waiting for my friends to ride this horrifying water slide that you couldn't get me on with a gun i I was down at the bottom, and I'm not kidding here. There was a kid there with a fishnet scooping out poop from the water because apparently the water acted as an enema as people were coming down the
1: slides. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> one of the better decisions of my youth was not getting onto that thing. Yeah, is that, is that what they call a log flume? Terrible. Thanks, thanks, Laura. I think your decision was a sound and wise one. Mm my sweet lady who just celebrated a birthday what you got for me
2: i wanted to talk today about varna varna is the third largest city in bulgaria Mm -hmm. and the largest city and seaside resort on the bulgarian black sea coast and in the northern bulgaria region the city has been a major economic social and cultural center for a hot minute
3: I was expecting you to say centuries
2: <laughs> and then you come
3: back with a hot minute.
2: Yeah, it's it's been a bit, a few clicks on the old odometer. <laughs> Varna is home to a civilization that emerged on the shores of lakes near the Black Sea some 7,000 years ago. Wow. And until just a few decades ago, uh, most archeologists thought that the Copper Age people living in this area organized themselves in very simple, small groups. But discoveries in the 70s changed all of that. In 1972, An excavator operator named Rachel Marinov found a few pieces of jewelry, a few bracelets, a breastplate while he was digging trenches for electrical cables. And after fishing these things out of his bucket, he uh, put them in a small box and put them under his bed. As you do. He wasn't sure exactly what it was that he found, but he wanted to you know, put it aside. It was
3: interesting enough to... Uh... Yeah,
2: and he, he didn't know exactly what to do with it. So he'd just gotten new work boots. So he put the stuff in his work boots box and then mm. shoop, right under the bed. A few weeks went by before he thought, oh, yeah, so my old teacher now runs this museum. Maybe I'll reach out to him. And he did. He gave the box of jewelry still covered in dirt to his old teacher. Now, this museum owner thought that this box of whatever might be of interest to Dr. Alexander Michev, who was just 25 at the time. He would just received his PhD. And he was, uh, you know, a little skeptical about this, quote unquote, box of treasures Mm. that this excavator worker had under his bed. (laughs) Now, until this morning... Not this morning, day after my birthday, but this morning that the... In
3: the story. The old
2: teacher. Yeah. Mm. All the known gold artifacts from the Copper Age, all of them weighed less than a pound combined. In this shoebox alone was more than double that. Wow. The initial find was 2.2 pounds of gold in the form of bracelets, a rectangular breastplate, earrings, delicate tubes that might have fit around a scepter's wooden handle, a few other trinkets, some rings, so on and so forth. How much do you think that dinosaur poop weighed? So Dr. Minchev was pretty jazzed, as you can imagine. So soon the construction worker was leading archeologists his old teacher, and a police officer out to where he found these pieces. And there were more. Marinov was awarded 500 BGN by the government, which is equal to several monthly salaries. And Dr. Minchev took over what was to become one of the most important archaeological discoveries ever made in Bulgaria with Ivan Ivanov. What they'd discover was soon to be known as the Varna Oh shit! I should have looked up the pronunciation of this word. <laughs> the, Varna nec- the Varna Chalcolithic, the Varna Chalcolithic, the Varna Chalcolithic necropolis. That was
3: beautifully done.
2: Oh. Whew. Oh. There were graves with skeletons, mostly male, as well as symbolic graves without human remains. And over the next 15 years, around 300 graves were uncovered. Holy shit. Now, all of these graves dated to a relatively brief period of time between 4600 and 4200 BCE which was a pivotal point in human history when people were just beginning to unravel the secrets of metalworking. And in these graves, they found over 22,000 exquisite artifacts, sophisticated examples of copper, pottery, about 600 pieces of pottery, flint, obsidian blades, beads, Holy, shells, wow. and gold, including 3,000 items made from gold, with a total weight of 13.23 pounds. That's about six kilograms.
3: And this this is from about 7,000 years ago? Yeah. Holy crap.
2: Artifacts from the cemetery were created only a few centuries after the first migrant farmers moved to Europe. It is the oldest gold treasure in the world, dating from 4,600 to 4,200 BCE, Some graves contained, as I said, no skeletons. They were quote unquote symbolic graves, and -hmm. those were the richest in terms of the amount of gold and other treasures found within them. Some of the symbolic graves also contained human size masks made of unbaked clay. They were placed in the position where the head might sit in a a traditional grave, and then the rest of the grave was just filled with gold. So as I said, 3,000 gold artifacts were found with a weight of approximately six kilograms, um, which we talked about the gold from that era until that morning, again, that morning not being- um, No, yeah, right. or, Okay, yeah. so now we're at six times the amount of gold previously known to be around at that time period. And
3: excavated from essentially one site. Exactly. Good lord.
2: There was one grave in particular that was super interesting, and it was grave number 43. It contained more gold than has been found in the rest of the world for that epoch. The riches of Varna Cemetery weren't evenly distributed, though. The majority of the burials contained very little of value. Uh, Some beads, maybe a flint knife or a bone bracelet, and then one in five would contain a small gold object like beads or pendants. But just four graves contained three quarters of the cemetery's gold.
3: So clearly there was a uh, social hierarchy. Yes. Even then.
2: That's the first evidence of a social hierarchy. Oh, shut up. In historical record. That's amazing. Yes. And it's also, as I said, the oldest known gold treasure. So this area, this finding is incredibly important as far as historical unearthings. And that guy got how much? 500 BGE. It's equal to about $300.
3: Boy, he got screwed.
2: Well, yeah. And in addition to that, the government had people kind of like keep an eye on him to make sure he wasn't going (laughs) back to the spot, which I think is kind of shitty. I mean, he let them know about the stuff in the first place.
3: Yes. Thank you so much for helping us find this priceless ancient site full of valuable Copper Age treasures and riches. Uh, Now, um, go away. And, and don't come back. Right. Here's $300.
2: Look at all this rich stuff. Get out of here. The um, high status male that was buried with the most remarkable amount of gold held a war mace and wore a gold penis sheath. I want a gold penis you sheath. You can have whatever you want. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How
3: many pounds of gold would that take, do you think?
2: Pounds? Pounds. <laughs>
3: Move along. There's nothing to see here.
2: Okay. So males and females were laid out in different positions within the graves. Males were laid out on their backs while females were placed in fetal positions, which is also interesting Mm. in understanding how their society worked. Uh, The findings also showed that the Varna culture had trade relations with distant lands. And that comes from other artifacts that they found that they know were sourced from various other places. Now, what happened next is an enduring mystery. Again, next meaning at that point Mm. in history and not Not next. Not right. Yeah, okay. By the end of the fifth millennium BCE, the once strong and powerful Varna culture began to disintegrate. All along the lower Danube, settlements and cultures that had flourished during that time came to an abrupt end around 4,000 BCE. And for six centuries afterward... The region appears to have been pretty much empty.
3: Just abandoned. Abandoned. It went from this flourishing civilization in uh, in early Copper Age times to just being completely... Nada. Made. Yeah. Wow. Do we know why?
2: Well, there are theories that exist. Some believe that there was an invasion by the mounted Indo-European warriors, but there's not a lot of evidence to back that up. Other theories think that there was an epidemic that came and wiped them out, but again... The way in which they found people buried, it just doesn't lend to that idea. So recently, it's been hypothesized that the downfall of the civilization was a result of a combination of factors, but largely climate change, which turned very large areas of land that once had been able to be used for farming and such into marshes and swamps.
3: So probably the vacating of this particular geographic area wasn't like an overnight thing. It was a gradual process of uh, climate change disrupting their agricultural opportunities.
2: Right. But it couldn't have happened too gradually because the time period that they did occupy that space was so brief.
3: Like 200 years, you said, right? Something like
2: that. Yeah. Wow. And the Black Sea at that time was as much as 25 feet lower than it is today. so you can see how the land obviously has changed dramatically Mm. um and and maybe they they just had a bunch of crops in and all of a sudden there's a bunch of water there instead and long-legged birds (laughs) and they're like oh dang
3: Mm. we gotta get out of here yeah i just think it's fascinating that we can look into the minds of people that lived at the very beginning of civilization at the very beginning of understanding how to work metals and to know that one of the first things they made were gold penis sheaths, which is not easy to say, really. No, it's not. Yeah.
2: Gold penis sheaths.
3: Gold penis
2: sheaths. Gold, gold penis, penis sheaths.
3: sheaths. Yeah, no, that's hard to say.
1: Sheaths. Sheaths. Sh.
2: I feel like we've spent enough time on this. Yes, we have. Yeah. All right. So, anyway, that is the Varna excavation and, uh, you know, Bulgaria, not really a a place known for its riches now, uh, once the civilization that held the most.
3: Fascinating. Yeah. Where did you find that story?
2: Thanks for asking. (laughs) I got most of my information from Ancient Origins, Smithsonian Magazine, Foreigner.bg, and of course, Wikipedia.
3: Oh, and we wanted to thank uh, Caveat in uh, the Lower East Side of Manhattan where we did our live show a week or so ago uh, for sending us a copy of the video of the show. They did such a great job producing it. They Mm. had aerial shots and different angles and it was really, really well done. And so we are going to tighten it up a little bit and put it up on Patreon for our patrons
2: yeah and we also wanted to take a minute and thank our new patrons Michael Helene Sydney and Sean for joining us
3: and if you've been considering becoming a patron not only do you get ad-free episodes but uh, if you do it now you'll uh, be able to watch the New York show for free just go to the box dot-com box of oddities available on all major podcast platforms including Amazon music And we'll see you next time.
2: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
3: Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak.
1: (laughs) And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. The Box On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities. And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.